And welcome in to another edition of the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein, along with UMBC head men's basketball coach Ryan Odom. Welcome in. How are you? Doing great. Doing well, great. I, Thanks. I'll tell you what, they won't really know by the way the place looks right now, but on Thursday night, this place is going to be hopping. It's the game of the year in the America East Conference. The University of Vermont will be coming here to UMBC to take on the Retrievers. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it's been a little while since we've been together, yeah. and there's a lot of games to talk about. Before we get to the games, just in general, you guys have won eight out of your last nine after losing two of your first three in the America East. What's been the difference for you over the last month and a half? Yeah, very simply, it's sense of urgency. Um, you know, our guys, uh, after losing to UMass Lowell and Hartford on the road uh, to kind of start the season off, um, we came back and, and had practice uh, shortly after. You had a day off on that Sunday and then, and then uh, practice that Monday. And there was just a sense of urgency that we needed uh, at that point in time. Uh, we, we weren't playing every possession like it was our mm-hmm. last. Uh, we certainly were making a lot of mistakes on both sides of the ball. And clearly at that point it was, it was evident, you know, we, we, we needed, uh, you know, to be more efficient on the defensive end of the ball. That was going to be our identity. And we needed to just kind of figure that out. And uh, we began to kind of go back to the basics a little bit. And uh, our guys have kind of taken off from there. And I think they really bought into who they are uh, as a team. And uh, we figured out ways to win. Uh, it hasn't been pretty all the mm-hmm. time, obviously, right. but we've found ways to win kind of through our defense. And, and especially, you know, when we're shooting it a little bit better, uh, you know, it makes our team that much better. Um, certainly dealt with a lot of injuries and things, uh, you know, throughout the season. I've been really proud of the fact that the guys have, have stayed together and, and had multiple guys step up, you know, in tough times. Most of those injuries have occurred in the front court. There are times uh, when we're doing the games where we see the tallest guy on the floor is 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six. Yeah. So you're going with a small lineup, I guess, out of necessity if no other reason. Nobody likes to lose players to injury. There's no doubt yeah. about it. That's not a good thing. But do you think in some kind of, you know, odd way that that's made your team focus even a little more? It, it has a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. It definitely can do that for certain teams, but um, I don't think any coach would say we'd no. rather not have uh, guys available to play. I mean, we, we recruited them to be here, and, and obviously they're good players. When we've lost, you know, two guys in Dan and, and Max Curran, who started, you know, basically the entire you know conference pre-conference season, non-conference season, uh, you know, for us. Dan started basically all of last year. Max was a key figure for our team as well. So to lose them hurts. Uh, but if there was one position that you would have said, hey, if, you can, if you're going to end up having some injuries, it would be in the front court because that's where we were at our strongest going into the season. Right. Take us back about a week and a half. You guys went on the road uh, at Maine, at Binghamton. And from the looks of it, just conference record-wise, you know, they're not in the top four or five, but they're both very difficult teams to play, especially Maine, who's really come on. Uh, Talk a little bit about the Maine game and how you were able to come out on top. Yeah, certainly. Uh, It was a huge game for us. We were coming off, uh, you know, lost at home to Hartford. And, uh, you know, where we didn't didn't play as as well as we needed to to play in order to have a chance to win down the stretch. Uh, Hartford's a really, really good team. They're an experienced team. And so we, we needed to put our best foot forward playing against, you know, two quality opponents on the road. And uh, that's not easy to do. And we were coming off a game, the previous game against Maine, which we were down big at half mm-hmm. and uh, ended up coming back. And we were fortunate enough to win that game. 
And uh, so we knew it was going to be a battle, you know, from, from the tip to the end. And uh, Maine got off to a good start on us. I know it was pretty close at halftime. And uh, our guys did a nice job in the second half of finishing that game off in a very tight situation. Uh, we, we managed to kind of take over, take the lead, you know, later in that half. And, uh, you know, I didn't like exactly how it ended because we turned it over a couple of times there. And, uh, you know, they got some, some baskets that, that uh, you know, had we been able to finish it a little bit better, I would have been, been more pleased. But uh, great win for us. Any win on the road in our conference Absolutely. is a really good one. And, uh, you know, Maine, I knew, is was, was a really tough opponent. And then Binghamton, you guys got hot from the three-point line in the second yeah. half. I think seven for 11, four big ones right down the stretch. Uh, talk a little bit about that one. Yeah, that equally was a big game, an important game for us uh, on the road. Uh, we played 80 minutes against zone in those two right. games. Maine played 40 minutes, and then uh, Binghamton played 40 minutes of zone. So we got, in the grand scheme of things, we got some good reps against uh, zone defense uh, for us and our guys handled it well uh, I thought they did a nice job defensively um, I think Binghamton might have scored 50 points and, and that was tight throughout and we were able to have one run that kind of stretched it and, and gave us some breathing room down the stretch and uh, we were able to finish the game off. And then the Riverhawks come to town, UMass Lowell over the weekend. It's always tough between UMBC yeah. and UMass Lowell. Having said that, though, you guys held them like 13 or 15 below their season average. I thought it was, and you've had a lot of great defensive performances yeah. this year, but I thought this one was a particularly good one. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you know, UMass Lowell is the best offensive team, certainly from a scoring standpoint in our league, and they're really tough to guard. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of attention to detail, a lot of effort, and I uh, our guys were willing to give that uh, throughout that entire game. And certainly you're not going to hold a team like UMass Lowell who scores the ball the way that they do, you know, shut them out. And, uh, you know, our guys, you know, fought to the end. Um, you know, we, we, we weren't as good as we needed to be in, in, in terms of our transition offense and then our press attack at the right. end of the game. So there's some areas certainly for improvement for and us I, going forward. And I'm sure Vermont coming in took a look at that press that UML did at the end of the right. game, so we'll talk about that. But here it is now. So the University of Vermont comes into UMBC to the event center this coming Thursday night, 7 o'clock. The game's nationally televised on ESPNU. You've had now a chance to, um, you know, have your team with you a couple of days before the game. What's your message to them as this game approaches? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's business as usual. Uh, every game that, that comes is an opportunity to improve and get better. Uh, we talk to the guys again. We can't win the championship on Thursday night. We can't let this game become bigger than it is. And there certainly will be a lot of noise surrounding right. it on campus and, and, and beyond. And that's okay. That's what you want. You want to play in big games. You want to be a part of big games and, and share the floor you know, with a quality opponent like Vermont. And they're having another exceptional year. Uh, they're really tough to guard. Uh, the first game up there at Vermont, obviously they were without their heart and soul and their best player in, in Anthony Lamb. So that, that's an added, added factor into the game. Uh, certainly we prepped you know, for him. We didn't realize he wasn't playing until right. minutes before the game. Um, so we were expecting him to, to play at that point. But uh, it, it's going to be a hard-fought game. And, and you know, they took it to us in here last year. Um, you know, in that second matchup, uh, the opening of the arena here, 
And so we're going to have to play our best basketball to have a chance to win. They have a lot of streaks going and a lot of accolades, et cetera. But the one that really sticks out to me more than anyone else is they have a 24-game road winning streak. Yeah. That is really impressive. What yeah. does that speak to as, you know, you being a coach? Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's remarkable. It's, it's hard enough to win at home, mm-hmm. you know, in your conference. And, you know, to have, a, have a, a streak going like that where you're not only winning at home, but you're winning on the road in tough environments and you're taking the other team's best shot every time, uh, it's really, really impressive. And Coach Becker and his staff have done an amazing job. John Feinstein and I were saying in the last broadcast against Mass Lowell that in the three years that you've been here going on the end of the third year now, you've really coached three different teams. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a Will Darley, a, a great yeah. three-point threat, along with Joe Sherburn back sure. then. Last year, you were very, very strong in the backcourt. This year, it's a completely different team, really, yeah. from the first two teams. Do you feel that way from time to time? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, certainly, you know, my, my nature is I love to play fast. I love to play up and down the court and, you know, shoot, shoot early threes and transition right. if we can um, and get layups and, and play very, very fast. And this, our, this particular team, you know, each team is different, and you have to figure out what's best for this particular group. And certainly that's, this, it's not, not best for this group. You know, it's what's best for this group is to really lock in on, on defense, all right, be very stingy on that end of the court. And we've proven to be that, you know, so far. The guys have bought into that. Uh, and then offensively, you know, we're continuing to figure it out. We've got young guards right. and – you know, we don't have K.J. Mora kind of running things. We don't have Jarris. You know, when you're in a bind and, and need a bucket, uh, a guy that, that we could really go to and he could create things. Um, and, and this group, to their credit, they figured out how to win, and uh, they know how to do it now. That doesn't mean that it's going to continue. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's about constantly being present and being ready on every occasion. And uh, for us, the next occasion is practice tomorrow and getting ready for, you know, Vermont, a really good Vermont uh, team that's going to come into Baltimore. A couple of notes on a couple of your guys, and it seems like we talk about this guy every week, but there's a reason for that. Joe Sherburn is scheduled to play in his 130th game in a UNBC uniform this Thursday night. It'll be the number one mark uh, as far as the history of the team is concerned. Uh, Just your thoughts on Joe and what he's meant. Yeah, he's again, he's the model of consistency as well on and off the court. means so much to our team. Uh, he, he's been playing really, really well uh, recently, last five, six games in conference, and uh, just proud of all that he's done and, and accomplished here at UMBC, and this is just another one, uh, another accolade that he can – Add to his belt. And just a quick note, Jarris Lyles was here uh, for the UMass Lowell game on Saturday. It was uh, alumni day, and he was one of the alumni back. Do you you get a chance to talk to him much anymore at all? I do, yeah. We we text back and forth. He lets me know how it's going, and I try not to bother him. Obviously, he's got his own coach now and his own team and career that he's he's chasing, and uh, but – you know, they, they all of the the former players know that I'm here to to support them, and, and if they need it, and I'm their biggest fan. And certainly, Jarris is no different. And uh, Ben Grace was back too. Was we back, had yep. some former players here from the '98 team, and mm-hmm. and uh, alumni great alumni day was was a big success here. I mean, the whole lower bowl was packed. Uh, for the game, and, and we're excited for Thursday night, too. Hopefully we can get a, a similar crowd, if not better. I think you will. Uh, we'll hang out for a minute here. When we come back, Brandon Horvath will join us, the sophomore forward. We're going to finally find out from Brandon. We're going to figure out the controversy, just how tall he is, when the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report continues right after this.
and welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein along with head coach Ryan Odom. Now joined by sophomore forward Brandon Horvath, who I'm going to shake your hand very gingerly Thank here. You. Appreciate it. Right, got that. Yep. And the reason why is because Brandon actually has had an hand issue for the last few weeks. And let's talk about that just to start off. How's your hand doing? It's doing okay. I come back from a broken hand. I uh, fractured my ring finger. And it's just been tough because it's my shooting hand, so you know I do everything with that. But it's coming along pretty well. So, so you feel now that you can shoot any shot you want at yeah, this point? I'll, yeah, I'm pretty much almost, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Coach, what about not having uh, a big six? Well, let's not give away the size just yet because okay. I want to talk about that. Yeah. But how good is it to have your one of your big guys back? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, certainly we've been we've been struggling a little bit, you know, from a number standpoint, and we've had quite a few injuries, you know, over the course of the season and at different times during the season. And to our guys' credit, you know, they've kind of rallied behind one another and, and stepped up in, in a lot of different ways. And guys have gone from, you know, playing to all of a sudden they're not available to all of a sudden they're back again. And all the while somebody else is filling in quite effectively. And uh, it's been really good. But it's great to have Brandon back. I mean, obviously he provides, you know, a scoring punch. I mean, he was averaging 11 a game prior to getting hurt. Right. And uh, he's a very versatile forward for us, can play multiple positions, and uh, has been really, really a part, a big part of our success this season. And I think a lot of that has to do with your growth spurt over time, which mm -hmm. we kind of talked about before the show. So here we're going to debunk the controversy right now. Yeah. In the first show that we had this year, your, your teammate and probably Nolan. good friend, Nolan Garrity, yeah. came on and said, oh, Brandon, he's the tallest guy on the team. They have him listed as 6'10", but he's really 6'11", yeah, or maybe even more. He's a liar. Okay, okay so you're here, you're in front of the camera. Tell us, so how here, tall is Brandon Horton? So here's my thing. Okay. When we weigh ourselves, we don't weigh ourselves with shoes, right? Because right? we don't want the added weight. Exactly. So why would you do with the height? You, you so probably So I measure wouldn't. myself with no shoes. Okay. So with no shoes, I am six nine and a half, and mm. no one is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it from the, well, so I won't say the horse's mouth, from the forward's mouth. Yes. Uh, six nine and a half. But the interesting thing about that is when, and he was recruited, actually started recruiting before you got here. Yes. But even when you were recruiting him, he wasn't six nine and a half. He had a spurt. Yeah. So how did his growth kind of affect the recruitment and what he can do. Yeah, no question. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, he was he was a guard probably as right. a, as a mm -hmm. sophomore, junior, and in high school. And uh, all of a sudden, when you grow like that and you still have those guard skills, you know, it's, it's a plus. And you know, I can remember watching Brandon. Uh, it was in the, the, either the spring or the summer. I think it was the summer. And uh, we're up in Philly, Philadelphia at Philly U. And, uh, Philly U, yeah. Yeah, and, and Coach Skeeters and I were up, were up there and, and sitting on the side, and all of a sudden I watched this kid. He rebounds it off the glass, this tall, skinny kid, <laughs> rebounds it, and then he, he aggressively dribbles it all the way up the court and crosses somebody over and makes a pass, and the guy makes a three. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, this is a little, and he had a little flair and flavor to him, and I was yep. like, I like this kid. And so I sent Skeets back to watch him another game that same weekend, and he came back and was like, oh, yeah, we need to, we need to recruit this guy. And so, you know, then, then began the process of our, our staff kind of getting to know him and his family and, and uh, we all were kind of involved in that recruitment, and it was, it was uh, obviously great for UMBC. And we've seen those skills from time to time on the floor. I don't remember what game it was, but I know it was a non-conference game. Basically, Manhattan. you got the rebound. Yeah. yeah. And ba basically, it was all you. It was yeah. got, got the rebound, put it on the floor, went all the way to the hoop, scored. Yeah. My question to you is, how has your growth spurt, and it's probably been five or six inches over the last three or four years, affected you basketball-wise because you were a guard all those years and now you're a forward slash center like what is how do you how do you deal with that 
Uh, I think it's definitely helped me for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, going from you know just having that guard skill into the forward just can't hurt anybody. It's you know being versatile. So I just use that to my advantage, and it, the height just comes along with the with the skill pretty much. Do you from time to time just want to kind of do what you did against Manhattan, and that's just get the ball, <laughs> yeah, all the just, time, and just like do it all? Yeah, but I gotta you know run to the rim or trail. Right, because yeah. of the offense. But right, yeah. I can dribble a little bit. But he does give you a lot of options, though. He He's kind of is that you know yeah. guy that can do it all. Yeah. yeah, no question. And certainly defensively, that's a help for us yeah. too. It allows us to. You know, wall the basket, and he's a long guy, and he can switch. You know, on different players, you know, different sizes of of, of our opponents, and uh, you know, he's he's done a great job in that area as well. I want to take you back to last year. Actually, you were having you were a, you were a, a, um, a freshman here, mm -hmm. um, and you were having an okay year, uh, and then you kind of hit a little bit of a bump where you went late in the year. You were like zero for eight mm -hmm. from the three point line, and then came the Albany game. Mm -hmm. And Albany had beaten you guys by 40-plus back there a month earlier. Mm -hmm. And they, they were a tough team. And, you know, you guys had them think that they had you by 11 here, if I'm not mistaken. You hit two big three-pointers about midway through the second half mm -hmm. to kind of lead the team back. And K.J. and Jarris had a great second half as well. But take us through that real quick. And was that like a big moment for you to for do sure. it in crunch time? For sure. And the thing was that uh, my Aunt Lori actually passed away. Uh, a week before she, before the game. Really? Yeah. So I haven't seen her in like two years, and they had, the tickets were on her table when she passed away too. So it was like real touching for me to, and just for that to happen was just awesome. Mm. So I was just were turning you, point in my season for sure. Yeah. Were you thinking about her? Oh like, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I was getting. Really, I didn't really like show it on the court, but I was really emotional after the game. Mm -hmm. Well, and that is one thing about your game, though. You are a pretty emotional player. Yeah. You play with a lot of passion. Yeah. Is that has it been that way throughout your whole career? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's kind of a little, little edge to me. Mm -hmm. A little chip on my shoulder. It just helps me, you know, get fired up for the game, play yeah. a little harder. Is that something in a player that you value? Yeah, no question. I mean, you want somebody that's confident. You want somebody that believes in themselves and, and also has a passion for the game. And clearly Brandon does that. You know, he doesn't like – I don't like it necessarily when he gets the technicals like he did, <laughs> you know, against, against his brother. Oh, right, right. You've got to talk about that. Um, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely controlled. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Controlled. So you, so right. So Alex is your brother yeah. uh, for Shenandoah, uh, and it's his freshman year, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? And had you ever played against him before, like you did in the know, backyard? Earlier? Maybe that's about right. it, but not in any structured, uh, like organizational teams or nothing like that. And you guys were more um, height equivalent. Yeah, back then, yeah, correct? usually. Yeah. So, I was always a little taller, but we were more even. Right, but you're a couple years older than him. Yeah. So you pretty much beat him all the time. Oh yeah. Kind of. Like, but did it ever happen like with the Schweitz brothers, where Jack eventually ended up catching no, up to Sam? Never. Lord, but no, no never. No, no, never. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Well, never be that. Sorry, Alex. Right. Sorry. Alex. How, how was it for your family when you two played uh, here? It was awesome. I mean, it was mixed because my mom had to wear a Shenandoah hat with the NBC jacket. And, right. But it was a fun game. A great time seeing my brother. I never really get to see him. And it was just great playing him. Right. Um, Alex at all? I mean, did you ever look at him at all, or what did you think of Alex? Uh, yeah, Alex is a good player, yeah. and, and we're actually really excited. We know they're the coach at Shenandoah really mm -hmm. well. Coach Walsh mm -hmm. is a really good friend of Coach Dixon's and, and mine as well. He actually played, a little known fact, he played at High Point University where mm -hmm. my brother played, mm -hmm. and the, the old coach there coached my father as well. And uh, so we're, we're just excited that he's he's there and doing well, and 
you know, I played Division three ball, and, uh, you know, he wanted to continue getting on the court and playing and all that. And, and so that was the best decision for him. Mm, for right. sure. So we talked about the Vermont game a little bit in the open, which I uh, wanted to talk to Brandon about a little bit. Um, and just the message that you kind, of, you kind of imparted to the team here. I mean, this is obviously a big game coming up. There's no doubt about it. They're the number one team in the conference right now. Mm-hmm. But I think that the message that Coach is imparting is just, hey, it's just a game. Mm-hmm. It's no bigger than one game. Sure. So just talk about how you feel about something like that. Yeah, for sure. You can't be overhyped going into the game. Can't get out of what you do best. You know, just got to take it one game at a time. I mean, we can't win the championship tomorrow or Thursday, like you mm-hmm. said. So we just got to go in, re- stick to the scouting report, do what we got to do, and hopefully come out with a win. What, what were your thoughts going into Vermont when you played them last month and beat them by 11 up there? Oh, for sure. Just being confident, you know. All the pressure's really on them to beat us because no one thinks we're going to win. So just stick to the scouting report, do what we got to do. And we just did it, and we got a W. He sounds like a mini Ryan Odom here. You got, <laughs> you got quite an impression on him. He's regurgitating. <laughs> no, I mean, certainly we have a ton of respect you oh, know, for, for sure. Vermont and the rest of the league. And, and uh, I mean, they've had an amazing run here the last couple of years yeah. with Coach Becker. I mean, he's been there, I think it's eight seasons or something like that. And he's had 20 wins in each of those right. eight. And, uh, you know, just model of consistency. And a lot to be proud of in the America East. And, you know, we certainly are honored to share the court with them, and, and uh, you know, we're a competitive group, too. We want to win, and, and uh, certainly it'll be a good game on Thursday. Yeah, sure. Well, again, gingerly shaking hey, your right thank hand. You. Thank Appreciate you. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you Thursday night. Thank you. Big game coming up. Brandon Horvath will hopefully be a big part of that. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back with our third segment. John Feinstein will join us when we return right after this. Respect is hard work. Respect is dedication. Respect is earned on the court or on the field. Respect doesn't judge based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Respect is being the first conference to partner with the You Can Play Project. And the first conference in the LGBT Sports Safe Founders Club. Respect coaches, players, and the game. Respect similarities. Respect differences. Spread respect. Spread respect. Spread respect. And welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein, along with UMBC head coach Ryan Odom, joined by my broadcast partner, New York Times bestselling author John Feinstein. Johnny, how are you? I'm just terrific. How are you guys? Not too bad. Hey, listen, I a have lot. A question though. Yes. And this is more for Ryan than you, Gary, because you should know the answer to this. Okay. Because you're you're close to my age, Ryan. Do you know? Who, which presidents we honor on President's Day and what their actual dates of birth are. <laughs> no. I, that's a quick no. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that's, now, when I was a kid growing up... Yeah, you had to memorize Gary, those, right? We celebrated Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February 12th okay. and George Washington's birthday on February 22nd. Got it. But now, they, because of these Monday holidays... Kids nowadays have no idea whose birthdays we're celebrating on President's Day. Well, I knew, John, and you're right, we are, we are about the same age. I, I, I knew that it was Washington and Lincoln, but I didn't realize that those were their birthdays. I thought we were just celebrating the two presidents and that we just kind of picked a day to do that, thinking maybe we needed to do something in February. I didn't realize that, that the 12th and the 22nd were actually their birthdays. New York City public schools, we used to get off February 12th and February 22nd. Really? Wow. Birthdays. My, how things so, have changed. Kids like Ryan just were, were gypped out of their childhood. Deprived. Deprived. Mm. 
Yeah, hey, no doubt. Hey, John, speaking of how things have changed, let's, uh, let's lead it off with the, one of the biggest trades, if not the biggest in the offseason so far in the NFL. And I know you uh, wrote about Joe Flacco in your last book, uh, Quarterback. Uh, he's gone now from the Ravens, or not, not officially, actually, but once right. the new March NFL year begins, he'll be a Denver be Bronco. What are your thoughts on this trade? Well, it's no surprise at all. Uh, I mean, John Harbaugh was, was very honest. Uh, after the Ravens lost the playoff game to the Chargers, that you know they, they'll quote there'll be a market for Joe Flacco. He's going to play quarterback successfully somewhere in this league. Lamar is our quarterback going forward. I mean, I don't think he could have been more honest than that. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Everybody's saying, well, the Ravens did well getting a fourth round pick. I'm a little surprised they didn't do better when the, when Kansas City traded Alex Smith, who I think is a comparable quarterback to Joe Flacco, except that Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl ring, uh, to Washington. Uh, they got a player and a third-round pick in return. Apparently the Ravens are only getting a fourth. Uh, I think Joe Flacco is worth more than that. Um, people are citing his age that he's 34. I think Joe Flacco can be a starter in the NFL for five more years, and I think he'll do well in Denver because similar to his most uh, successful years in Baltimore – when he took teams to the playoffs seven times uh, and won a Super Bowl, of course, uh, he's going to a team with a very good defense. Yeah, they, they do have a good defense. Plus, I think they're going to build an offense around him uh, that is going to, you know, they, they have an excellent running game there. So I think he's got an opportunity to do some of the similar things. I don't know if he's going to win a Super Bowl or not, but I do think he has an opportunity well, to be successful. you never know if you're going to win a Super Bowl, but I, I think Joe will be a very good quarterback for the Broncos. He was a very good quarterback for the Ravens for most of his career here. Yeah. Ryan, you know, one of the criticisms of Joe was that he wasn't, like, really a rah-rah guy. Like, you see a Tom Brady, you know, sure. when something goes wrong, he's in the guy's face, and, you know, he kind of wills his team to victory, if nothing else. Do, do you put any stock in that? Do you put, you know, if you are a rah-rah guy, you're not a rah-rah guy, does that make a difference at all? Um, I, I think it, sometimes it can show passion, you mm-hmm. know, passion for the sport, passion for the game and the moment. Um, but I think, I think really it's about getting the job done. And uh, as coaches, we all want players to get the job done on every play. And whatever their role is, to, to champion it and do it to the best of their ability. I think if you look at Belichick, like he's not really giving you rah-rah. He's just like getting it done every yeah. week after week after week. And I think that's, that's what we all you know, one as coaches. Yeah, I never really had a problem with it, John. Did you ever really take that criticism, uh, think that that criticism was valid? I I think to be a leader, you have to be respected by your teammates so that even if you're not in their face, when you say something to them, uh, they listen and and respect what you're saying. Remember when we tried to nickname Joe Sherber and Cool Joe after Flacco, how he bristled but (laughs) because he's an Aaron Rodgers guy. But there, there are similarities. I mean, Ryan, Joe's not a rah-rah in your face guy, but I think every guy in your locker room respects him and looks up to him. Yeah, no Black. question. No question. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of be, be who you are. And, right. you know, you, 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 we want guys to try to get outside of themselves a little bit and, and make themselves a little uncomfortable um, to become a little bit better leader. Um, you're going to have to, when you step up and you're a captain, you're going to have to talk more. Than, than maybe you necessarily want to, uh, and that's part of the job. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to be yourself. I mean, it's no different than you know, me taking over as a head coach. You know, I can't be my dad, and my dad's different than me. Right. And so you've got to do what's comfortable for you, but at the same time, 
what's most important for your team at that particular moment. And uh, certainly Flacco's done that over the course of his career, and, and Joe's definitely doing it for us. Hey, John, one of the uh, biggest stages for college basketball, for pro basketball for that matter, Madison Square Garden, uh, a a big upset over the weekend. Villanova had a 17-point lead on St. John's at the Garden on Sunday, and St. John's came back and beat them uh, in the second half. Um, You know, your thoughts on something like that. St. John's actually looks like they're getting it together, and they're kind of making a nice run here at the end of the season. Well, yeah, a couple things, Gary. First of all, the surprise to me is a Jay Wright coach team blowing a 17-point lead. Absolutely. I and mean, it can happen to anybody. Uh, we know that, especially when you're playing on the road. But Villanova doesn't usually give up that kind of a lead. So that was unusual. Uh, I think uh, St. John's winning that game is, is as much a reflection of the fact that the Big East isn't that good this year. Uh, Villanova is still the best team, and Jay's done a tremendous job losing four guys to the NBA and still being in first place in, in, in the Big East. But other than Marquette, there's nobody else who's ranked or deserves to be ranked. I, I don't know that there's anybody else in that league who deserves to be in the NCAA tournament right now. Now, they'll get more than two bids because of politics. That's the way the, 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 the committee works. But St. John's got off to a great start. Uh, and then faded for a while, and really they were kind of falling off the bubble before that win yesterday. That was a huge win for them, but they're going to have to build on it. There's still three weeks left in the Big East regular season, mm-hmm. and I think they, they're going to need uh, you know, some more wins if they're going to be a legitimate NCAA tournament team. Hey, John, Ryan, do you, do you think this is a year where the mid-majors will, will get an at-large bid? Do you think like a team like a Wofford who's, who's playing really lights-out basketball right now, I think they're 15-0, and 0. Uh, do you feel yeah, like this you know, is a year a where that can happen? Two weeks ago, Ryan, about the fact that if there's ever a year when there should be mid-major at-large teams, this is it. The first year, first two years that they went to 68 teams, 2011 and 2012, there were six mid-major at-larges and eight mid-major at-larges. And uh, the last two years, there have been one in each year. Um, and, and the committee has clearly uh, been far more biased uh, toward the, the, uh, the, the power conferences. And I include I, I, multiple bid conferences, the five football power conferences plus the Big East, the AAC, and the Atlantic 10, who traditionally get at least three bids. Uh, and, but this year, I, I just did, you know, I am no bracketologist, and if you ever called me one, I'd punch you in the nose. <laughs> um, but I did kind of an informal look through uh, all the conference standings, and I found a total in, in the eight power conferences of 33 schools that right now should get bids. Now, you would think that at least six or seven of those will be automatic bid teams that they'll win their conference tournaments. So that takes it down to 26, 27, 28, somewhere in there, which leaves seven, eight, nine spots right. still open. And the question is, will the committee have the guts and the smarts to say, a Wofford doesn't necessarily win the Southern Conference Tournament. That's a good league. Yeah. That, team's got four, that league's got four legitimately good teams. What if Buffalo doesn't win the match? Right. They have to be in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, they've got too many good wins to not be in if they don't win the tournament. But you could also make the case that a Toledo, if they don't win the tournament in the MAC, deserves a bid. What about Old Dominion, uh, if they don't win in, in the uh, 
in, in Conference USA. I mean, there's a whole bunch of examples of schools that are deserving of bids, whether they win their automatic bids or not. I, the long-winded answer to your question, Ryan, is I hope so. Yeah. John, do you think there's a team in the America East, if they don't win their conference, would qualify there? Well, I would put Vermont in that category, uh, but the fact that Vermont didn't get in last year uh, with their resume mm-hmm. uh, and, and that UMBC was made a 16th seed, although that worked out okay, um, would indicate to you that it's going to be very hard for anybody in the America East to, to get in at large. Do, do I think Vermont, regardless of whether they win, win um, the, the conference tournament, could go into the, to the uh, NCAAs as a 13, 14, 15 seed and win a game? I absolutely do. But I don't think they'll get that chance. Ryan, how, how difficult or easy or whatever would it be to schedule a game like against an Old Dominion or a Wofford or something like that, like one of these teams that John is talking about, which really, you know, have been coming on the last few years? Yeah, it just depends, you know. I mean, I think both coaches obviously would have to have to agree to it. Um, you know, we're certainly willing to, to play outside of our network here right. and, and go play other, other quality opponents. Um, you know, scheduling is going to get continue to get harder. The more you win, the more difficult it is to schedule teams. And when you when you line up against another team, especially like if you're in Old Dominion situation, you want to play outside of your conference. You want to play against quality opponents who don't have you know the lower net, so to speak. Now, old RPI, right? Uh, so that it, it it helps you if you get a win uh, against one of those opponents. So. You know, certainly, you know, those are, are great teams that you mentioned there that would that we would would benefit from from playing. And I think that's why we added Florida Gulf Coast this I was past about to say, year, yeah. and, and uh, certainly Towson is a great Northern game. Northern Kentucky. What, what's that? Northern Kentucky Northern as well. Northern Kentucky it's, too. Yeah, they're they're playing good ball right now. I think they're ten and four in their conference. Um, so yeah, I think it's it, it definitely makes sense. John, what do you think about the net? Uh, I don't think it's any worse than the RPI. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, look, Gary, you, you know, Ryan knows, I, I am not a big believer uh, in, in, in computer printouts. I, I have this strange way of approaching sports that you, you try to watch teams play. That's crazy, and John. judgment <laughs> on how good they are based on watching them play basketball rather than looking at a computer printout. You know, last week I, I, somebody sent me, um, this computerized preseason football thing that this guy does based on algorithms and all this other stuff. <laughs> and I looked through it, and, and they had Army ranked 80th. Army was 11-2 and two last year, and they got most of their players returning. So I, I just put some – I made the mistake of tweeting, how in the world can you put Army 80th, you know, based on what they did last season, what they have coming back this season. What is this guy thinking? What is, I said, what is this guy watching? Oh, boy. Now, you would have thought that I had, uh, you know, attacked God and country uh, based on the responses I got on Twitter. You don't understand computers. You don't understand the formula. How dare you criticize whoever this guy is? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, honestly, I was just saying, gosh, I've kind of watched Army play football, and I think they're better than 80th. And people took it like I was attacking their children in some way. <laughs> so I'm the same way with the net. The RPI had become a joke. That's why they finally got rid of it, because it was so stacked toward the power conferences. But we'll see if using the net, because none of, nobody on the basketball committee knows anything about basketball. They're all <laughs> you know, glorified fundraisers, commissioners, and athletic directors. 
Um, so given that, we'll see if the net produces any better a field uh, than the RPI has in past years. Yeah. Hey, the, what do you think about Conference USA? Because they're approaching the end of their conference season now. You mentioned Old Dominion. I know they're probably two games ahead of the rest of the pack at this point. Right. And and kind of are at the number one seed. I guess they're they're getting ready to to play the top. They have the new scheduling formula, and they're, right. all the top right. teams play the top teams. You know, at the at the end here, right. maybe explain that and tell me your thoughts. Each other, and the next five play against each other. And and the reason they're doing that, and they just seeded them on Sunday. Um, the reason they're doing that presumably is so that teams won't get hurt in the net by playing bottom bottom of their conference team right. late in the season. Problem I think that's going to come up is I talked to Jeff Jones about this a week ago and he said, "Yeah, it's a great idea except I don't I still don't see us getting an at large bid because of the way things are stacked against the uh, the smaller conferences." And you know, if 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 let's say Old Dominion wins out in the regular season, and, and doesn't win the conference tournament and gets an at-large bid, then other teams will comp- copy what Conference USA has done. John, it's been a pleasure as always, my friend. We'll see you in a couple weeks. I look forward to it, Ryan. Good luck on Thursday. Thanks so much, John. John, thank you again. That's John Feinstein, my uh, broadcast partner on the ESPN Three Games and the New York Times Award. Uh, what are you, the best-selling author, John, still? I, I, well, I, I, they call you that if you've had one bestseller. One, right. So, you know, I've had 23, so I guess it's okay to call me that. <laughs> John, thank you as always. All right, guys. And that'll do it. We'll see you next time on the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report.